0: Back to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You, and today we're going to go on a continuation of our nurses' series but in a slightly different direction because we're going to get a specialty here that we haven't talked about yet, but one I think is really important and one where the pandemic has truly infiltrated and affected the experience, and that's going to be in labor and delivery, dealing with moms and new babies in the NICU and how this pandemic has really affected that, I think that's a conversation we definitely need to be having. So today's nurse will be anonymous, and I'm very excited for her to join us and and offer this different perspective, talking about mothers, talking about new babies, and how do we move forward to an experience that is like it used to be after what we've all gone through in the last year and a couple months. So welcome to the show. Thank you. The first question I ask of everyone, and I kind of want to just, it helps me understand so much more about where each of you are coming from, is what is your medical background? What is your history? What led you to the place where you are? And what is your specific focus?
1: So I'm a registered nurse with a bachelor's degree. My background, I've worked medical floor. I've worked home health care. Most of my time has been spent OB-specific. Did that answer all your questions? Yeah.
0: And (laughs) in what
1: context do you currently work? So I currently work in OB with new moms, new babies, um, and NICU. And this is
0: all within a hospital setting. Has that been the majority of your nursing career all in a hospital setting?
1: The majority, minus a little bit of home health, but everything else been hospital setting.
0: So the first question related to COVID and the pandemic um, that I like to ask is, in your medical experience and you know, with your point of view based on your history, do you think that the fear that was generated through this entire pandemic at the beginning, but all the way through overall, do you think the fear that has been generated about this entire pandemic has been warranted?
1: No. I don't think it has. I think I understand in the start when we didn't really understand the disease, we didn't really understand the process. We're seeing New York and all of these huge issues. I understand where that fear kind of started from, but I think we could have stepped away from that long ago.
0: And at this stage where you're working now, do you still see that level of fear in the hospital amongst your colleagues? I would
1: say it's a mix. Honestly, I think the fear has decreased a lot. A lot of my colleagues still kind of believe the same precautions should be in place, masks, getting the vaccine, though, you know, limiting gatherings, those kinds of things, but I would say by and large it's decreased quite a bit. And
0: because you're working kind of in a, a specialty arena that we'll get into, just looking in a general form At the beginning of this, the first several months, we had, you know, a lot of fear and panic, and a lot of this was based on what was seen in Italy and in New York, and and everybody kind of thought that each of these hospitals was just going to be ravaged by this, and it was going to be, you know, chaos everywhere. Was that what you guys were expecting back in March,
1: April, May? Personally, no, I didn't really think that it would go to that scale, but yes, as I would say as a medical community as a whole, then yes, that's kind of what they were envisioning. That's kind of what they were preparing for was the hospitals, you know, no room left in the hospitals. And did it ever get to that point? No, I will say we, there was a time frame, maybe a couple of months that we were working extra shifts, required extra shifts and floating around to other units in the hospital. And we had quite a few sick patients, you know, with COVID and quite a few really sick patients for a time, but nothing on the scale of what was predicted.
0: And have you before in other, let's say, flu seasons or other times like that, have you seen busyness as well?
1: Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's always seasons for every unit, right, that you have to do call shifts and extra shifts and those kinds of things, depending on where you're working. But it was... I would say it was busier than usual, but also I don't work on those units usually. I was floated to those units during the COVID when we were busy, but that's not my normal area.
0: And who were the majority of the patients that you did see? The ones that were having the hard time? Was it a like a, a pretty typical category of people or was did you feel this was hitting everybody equally?
1: So I can't speak because when I'm getting floated, I'm kind of helping around the unit. I wasn't taking specific care of specific patients, but from what I saw it was generally those higher risk comorbidity type of situations. And so
0: March and April come along, there's this panic and all this is happening. Well, clearly there are people ready to have babies and those babies aren't going to stop coming out just because of what's going on. So that's going to continue regardless. What were those first couple of months like? dealing with mothers that were giving birth. Now at that time, this was before they were requiring masks for this process at the very beginning of this, but what was it like, you know, what was the, the climate like, so to speak, at the very beginning of all this?
1: So as far as very beginning, when it started to hit closer to where I'm at, they did put in place those protocols that we were wearing masks, we were wearing eye protection, even on my unit of mostly healthy patients, right? And then of course the policies rolled out that they could only have their support person there, their one support person. What happened with COVID positive patients was that if they were, well, first it was that they were suspected, right? Cause we weren't COVID testing every patient when they came in. So if they were suspected, they have a fever or any other symptoms, then we would put them on COVID precautions. Then it turned into we were testing every every mom that was coming in. So we knew ahead of time or during her stay, if she was COVID positive or not. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, what was happening, and this has since changed, but at the very beginning, what was happening is if they were COVID positive or suspected, they were separated from their babies. Their baby was put onto a different unit under precautions as well. Moms were pumping. But at that time, we were not allowed to give their breast milk to their baby, Wow, which was just ridiculous, right? Yeah. And that took quite some time. I finally went to a supervisor and said, hey, even the World Health Organization is advising that we give uh, mom's milk. Why, Why haven't we changed this? And they really didn't have a great answer, but I, well, I haven't looked into that.
0: And how long did that go on for before that policy was changed?
1: It's hard to remember back. I would say a good month, maybe maybe even longer than that, maybe six weeks, four, six weeks. And to the people
0: who are listening, who understand, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for breastfeeding. I, you know, did extended breastfeeding with both of my kids. To people who don't really understand, those first few weeks are so crucial. In fact, the first few days can be crucial to whether or not, a, especially for a first-time mom, whether or not a baby can latch, find the latch, or be able to get into a comfortable breastfeeding rhythm. And this type of imposition, this type of derailment from that natural process can absolutely make the difference in whether or not that mom will be able to breastfeed that baby at all. And people try to say this is just a simple, oh, it's just you know a couple of days or a week or whatever it is. It's such a critical time for that new baby to be there with the mother, especially for the breastfeeding journey, which is supposed to help and we know helps. Dr. Bob and I did an episode on this on the vaccine conversation talking all about breastfeeding and the disease reduction as a result, that this would be the most important time. To be making sure that babies are getting that milk and so this is the kind of thing that would like personally infuriate me just because i i'm just such a huge advocate for breastfeeding and there are already obstacles in in the line there that make it hard for some moms why add something else like this that could totally change that child's life moving forward because now they're going to not have that same level of protection that they would have had from the milk to all the other
1: things going around Oh, absolutely. Because a mom's breast milk is specific to her baby, right? Exactly. The sicknesses that mom's had, the diseases mom's been around, the germs that mom's touching, those are going into her breast milk and offering that protection for baby, right? So why would we not want baby to have those COVID antibodies?
0: It makes no sense. And again, it totally sets up that mother for having a struggling relationship with breastfeeding, especially if she's a first time mom.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we had some first-time moms, right, that were trying to teach them. I'm going in trying to help them and teach them how to breastfeed and how to hold baby and how to establish that latch with baby on a different unit. And in fact, skin-to-skin care is so important. It regulates heart rate, respirations, temperature, blood glucose, and really facilitates that feeding. When baby's just right, bare skin-to-skin on mom's chest. And In fact, pediatricians or doctors at the time were recommending that mom, and this is asymptomatic mom, the majority of patients we saw were asymptomatic. It was, they had a COVID test because they came into the hospital. They had to have it. They weren't exposed. They had no known exposure and they were treated as if they had a raging infection, right? Some, there were a few symptomatic, but then the doctors were recommending that they then go home and quarantine from their baby at home there for two weeks. And so the baby would stay at the NICU? Baby if- would stay like in a separate room. Wow. Baby could go home, but would stay in a separate room at their home and have somebody else care for baby. And so it just was just, oh, I broke my heart to see these moms just separated from their from their babies like that. And such an important time to establish that breastfeeding. I mean, we're talking, it could be weeks to months trying to overcome the obstacles that occur with breastfeeding after we've missed those crucial first days, not to mention the bonding.
0: If at all, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
0: I spent days and weeks myself in mother forums, you know, new mother forums when I was first a first new mom and dealing with breastfeeding and, and, you know, trying to issues with feeding and how much they're getting and all the different elimination diet and things I had to do because my baby was having, you know, issues. And so I was like very in touch with a lot of other mothers across the country that were all, you know, offering advice or struggling and the questions that they had. And like, there is so much to that very beginning stage as it relates to a breastfeeding relationship that can be you know, fruitful and lasting and positive. And like you said, the other area of this is the bonding. Like, a, okay, so on one hand, I'm thinking, why separate the two of these people, the baby and the mother, the baby was growing inside the mother. So if she has exposure mm-hmm. to something, the baby already has that contact. It's not like you're preventing the baby from this type of exposure. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's already like the first thing. The second thing this baby's coming out into a new world that they've never seen and never experienced, and it's overwhelming, and there are too many senses happening, and everything's kind of heightened. The only thing that baby wants is its mother. The only thing it needs, it, you know, the panic, the fear, all of this environment that we've created, the only thing that baby would need to comfort would be the mother. I mean, no offense, obviously, to the You know, nurses who do their best to take care of babies, but it's not the same thing, right? It's just, it's not. And the fact that they would, especially for an asymptomatic person, like this idea that you're so asymptomatic, we just talked about this with another nurse, that you're so asymptomatic that you don't have symptoms, but somehow your viral load is high enough that you're able to infect everybody else, it just doesn't make any sense. And you're treating all these healthy people as disease sick individuals when we've got testing issues we had months of terrible testing that were just all these false positives you know coming out based on the cycling that they used on the PCR test that could have literally changed the entire memory of this time which is supposed to be this beautiful new you know embarking on this new adventure with this baby i mean i same like you it broke my heart to see these people going through it at this point and that's even before The masks and then only letting somebody in, and all the things that they've changed. I mean, just from mother to baby, what they did to set up that wall in between them when it was not necessary and was not warranted is criminal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And I will say, we have, you know, it's been quite some time that we've moved past that. If mom's asymptomatic or Actually, I've only seen one mom that had to be transferred to a different floor because she had more severe symptoms and she discharged home maybe two days after her baby, not too long after her baby. The majority of people have been asymptomatic and if they are asymptomatic or not massive symptoms, then we are, we have been for quite some time allowing baby to room in with mom or breastfeeding, all of that kind of thing.
0: So what's the policy now? Now, what's the current policy?
1: So the current policy is if mom is asymptomatic or just mild symptoms, um, then baby can room in with mom and breastfeed and just treated like a, a, well, a normal well-mom, well-baby duo, which we've always done, right? If we've had a mom with the flu or a mom with a cold, we've never taken their babies from them before,
0: right? Right. That's, that's a really good point. And then when did masks come into play? You said right when you started to see kind of more of an influx of patients was when they had started already implementing.
1: Was when staff was wearing the masks. As far as patients, I honestly don't remember. It was probably pretty, pretty, it seems like forever. I'm so sick of wearing masks. Oh, gosh, I can imagine. So it was probably
0: pretty quick. And so now these mothers have to labor with a mask on.
1: Mm -hmm. Right? This is the policy. Yeah, the policy, which I will say the policy is hit and miss depending on who your nurse is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How how strictly it's followed. But if somebody comes in the room, right, if there's no staff in the room, then you can have your mask off. If staff comes in the room, then you're supposed to put your mask back on.
0: And again, to any any women listening right now that have labored, (laughs) like the most important (laughs) thing that you need is air. Air, your breathing gets labored in itself because of these contractions and just the the stress of your body going through this, you know, amazing event. Like the idea that anybody would think it would be okay to have a woman who's in a sensitive, fragile condition carrying an unborn child, okay, having to breathe very heavily during contractions, potentially with a mask on as long as there's somebody else in the room or if you have a nurse that's a little stricter, I cannot believe that these policies were put into place. Like, what kind of risk can that place – I mean, what would they just do? Just put the moms on oxygen just to counter it?
1: Well, I mean, I haven't really seen any huge – I don't know. I see it from – I'm on the postpartum side and NICU side, Mm -hmm. so I haven't seen them directly when they're laboring. So I don't – oftentimes we will give mom oxygen anyway. So I don't know how it's gone into play on that side of it. But on the postpartum side, and when they're, I know that it's the same for laboring on the postpartum side, they're supposed to have that mask on when we come in. And I will say at that point, when you asked me earlier if staff was starting to get a little less panicked about COVID, a little less fear, I mm-hmm. have seen that huge in that it used to be another staff member would walk in. And immediately the patient would put on the mask because they knew that every nurse was going to say something. And we've definitely gone away from that. I would say most nurses now are not enforcing putting it on when we come in the room.
0: Was there a discussion amongst nurses and your colleagues about this whole policy when this whole first came out? Let's say we've got women who are, you know, being babies taken away from the moms. And then we have, you know, the mask policy and then only allowing one person... In there. What was the discussion amongst your colleagues and you guys? Like, what were you guys thinking after you have seen and been a part of this process before all of this, knowing exactly what's needed to make a mother feel comfortable during this time? Was there a discussion with you guys about just this doesn't seem right or this seems really unfair? I don't really, I don't know how, you know, we're doing this to these women. Was that ever a discussion?
1: Yeah. So I would say masks, the majority of nurses felt fearful enough that they were wanting patients to put on the masks. They definitely thought that everyone should be masked the minute you walked into the room. Um, As far as babies being separated and not giving breast milk, we were pretty universal on the same page of babies need to be with their moms, babies need to get the breast milk.
0: Well that's good. It's it's nice. I mean obviously you would imagine anybody would feel that way after knowing, you know, kind of just seeing women all the time the way that you do in this circumstance. Is they're very fragile. I mean that's like the best way I can describe it as it relates to the support person thing. When that first policy first came into play. I mean I think there was even a brief time where they weren't even allowing a support person at the very beginning of all of this, but once they were allowing somebody, what was that battle like for those who needed or wanted
1: more people there? So I would say our hospital, and I think probably our area, we were never not letting a support person in. There always was a support person could come. But as far as any additional support people, they couldn't bring them. If you had a doula, you couldn't bring your doula, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Re- I had a doula with my last birth, and I can't imagine right not being able to bring my doula in. So I think it was hard. I think we saw a shift. I know that I kind of talking to people and talking to people in the home birth world that I know and midwives and doulas, they, I think there were some switches. I think more people started having birth center births, home births, Mm. not a huge majority, right. But some, which they probably had an amazing birth, right. Because I think that's a great option if you're low risk, but I think we saw a little bit of a shift for that for people that really wanted support people and just didn't feel safe in the hospital because there was so much fear. They were afraid they were gonna get COVID if they came to the hospital. Right. But I think it was hard, especially for first time moms. First time moms, right? They want their mom there. They want their partner to be a bigger yeah. yeah, a bigger thing. Of course it's great they can have their husband or the dad of the baby, or if they're not involved. They could have their mother or whoever was being their support person. But that definitely has been difficult. At this point, we are letting more visitors in. I think right now it changes so frequently. Sometimes I don't keep up very well. But at this point, I think we're letting one or two other visitors in it's gone a whole spectrum right because first there was just the support person then it was they can have two people but they can't be there at the same time Mm. as if just switching out is going to decrease your risk of getting COVID right mom coming on the unit and dad leaving or grandma you know coming on dad leaving like that's going to make a difference but yeah I think it definitely had huge effects during people had this whole birth planned out that their whole family was participating or younger, still so their other kids were going to come up and see baby and now they can't do that.
0: And then what about on, you know, kind of the mental and emotional health side of things for these women that have gone through that and now just had, I mean, for a lot of women, especially in a hospital setting, the birth plan does not go according to their plan. Uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. they're coming in there saying, I don't want interventions. But the fact that they're in there, you know, their body sort of slows down and and the anxiety and panic kind of stops their contractions. And then they kind of go Mm -hmm. through the traditional Pitocin and then you need more epidural, which and then back and forth and back and forth. And a lot of times it leads to a C-section. I mean, this is just from what I see over and over again with women, you know, in today's day and age. So, for a lot of people that start out with an idea in their mind of what they think their birth is going to go, is going to look like. And then they're already, that's already shifted a lot of times in one way or another in the hospital setting. Adding the layer of immense fear and not having that level of contact, even from your nursing staff, like you don't have that same level of closeness and interaction because everybody's kind of keeping space. So, there's that level of Mm -hmm. detachment. And then there's the panic and the fear that's just palpable just being there, right? You have that layer too. And then you have this layer of all these other policies that are affecting the way you interact with the baby. I can imagine, and and maybe this is something that it takes even weeks after going back home for these women to really like process, but that this experience looked entirely different than they thought it was going to. Have you seen kind of, because you said on the postpartum side, have you seen you know that a little bit of that mental and emotional challenge with accepting that this is how
1: things went down? Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit. I feel like when they're at the hospital, especially maybe now we might, well, now we're letting more visitors in. I think towards the first when there were all these limitations. <laughs> we were so good at convincing people that they should be scared of COVID above all else Mm. I think that they felt like these policies were in place to protect them and I think where you would see that more is a little bit further down the road I think I saw disappoint I saw disappointment a lot that their mom couldn't come and that their other babies you know their other children couldn't come up and see the baby but I would suspect that they would have that feeling a little bit further down the road And I don't know. I just, from what I saw, I didn't see like an increase.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you said, yeah, it takes some time sometimes to.
1: Yeah. I think a lot, I will say (laughs) the poor COVID positive patients that we have because they're on full COVID precautions, right? So we're all suiting up to go in their room. They get out of there usually as fast as they can because they, they feel like that everybody's scared of them or that they're a threat to everybody or these kinds of things. So I think especially for those patients, having this feeling of, oh, people are frightened of us or I'm a bother because you have to put on all this equipment every time you come into my room. I've definitely seen that and heard patients voice that, that they just want to leave as soon as they can due to that.
0: And now across the board, kind of as it relates to the entire pandemic, just kind of in general, did you feel like there was a sense that we might not be told the I don't want to say the whole story but that there were that there was some you know that they were the media and or medical establishment was sort of pushing a certain view of what this pandemic was that the actual day-to-day life wasn't backing up uh, was there like a discussion I mean did you guys talk about this of just something's not right with this
1: Yeah so I would say I have a friend or two that I work with that kind of shares those feelings but as a whole really everybody just bought into the media bought into what was being told to us so in general I was a little bit on the outside and now they kind of know how I feel but I hid it for a long time I just would leave the conversation because they were just talking about people that weren't wearing masks out in public and what you know and things about this, which I was doing, you know, I was going out not wearing masks in public if I wasn't at work and those kinds of things. So I think by and far, um, the people that I work with really kind of bought into all of that fear, which again, I get it at first. I get it at first. We don't know what's going on. Sure. But I was surprised that I didn't see opinions change sooner. And still to this day, still kind of the same yeah, still kind of the same. Um, And especially with the vaccine coming out and that's something that, you know, pregnant women are getting now. And I really haven't seen a shift and nobody seems to think that these things are problems getting the vaccines.
0: So speaking of the vaccine, as that came out the end of the year, what was the viewpoint there where you are? Was it, was there pressure to get vaccinated? Is there kind of a social or peer pressure amongst colleagues? Like, to to get vaccinated and if you don't then you know you're part of the problem not part of the solution.
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. So definitely I was so sick of being asked did you get your vaccine yet because we were having the vaccines at the hospital for employees and it was just constant. Did you get the, it was just assumed, right, that you're getting the vaccine. And what I thought was interesting is soon on before it was offered, then the discussion was a little bit like this is so quick to get this vaccine out. I don't know if I'm going to take the vaccine, that kind of thing amongst nurses. Mm. But as soon as it came out, all of a sudden, almost my entire unit went and got that vaccine as soon as it was offered, which I thought was really interesting that they would make such a quick change without having any real evidence or testing.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And from what I've heard, a lot of nurses have said, like, uh, you know, at least half of their staff, you know, is not getting it. And and for the same reasons of just, there's not a lot of evidence behind it. It's experimental. They're not, you know, they don't see the same fear and risk that they did back then, that they would feel the need to do that. And that's amongst people who are like day in, day out dealing with this. So it's like, that should definitely make you wonder, you know, but it just, I guess it depends on,
1: you know, what area you are in and, which is interesting, right? Because everyone we were mm-hmm. seeing, almost everyone was asymptomatic. Right. So it's not like you're in New York City. Right. Yeah. Everyone on my unit, every, they were healthy moms that just either came back positive because of bad testing or were just asymptomatic, which I think has really helped me to not have as much fear, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing how uh, mild it can be.
0: And I wonder if this has you know, something also to do with the moral argument, you know, that's a big part of this, is this moral argument of, I'm getting this, not because I'm scared of it, but, but to protect all these other people. And meanwhile, we've had, you know, the medical establishment straight up come out and say, this is not going to keep you from getting it, which means you can absolutely still transmit it. But it still has become a moral discussion about, I'm a good person, therefore I get the vaccine. hmm Yeah. Absolutely. Even when the science doesn't, you know, doesn't
1: really back that up. Right. Right. But I think that if you don't take the time to really research and research both sides and you're surrounded by one side, then you're just going to go that easier path of the information you have. One doctor telling you, oh, yeah, I can't see any downside. It's going to do nothing but nothing but positive. Right. And what are some of the reasons that you would have hesitations to get it.
0: As a as somebody who is a medical professional, what where would be your resistance?
1: Well, my really I have resistance with really any vaccine. I do have to get a flu shot annually or I will get fired. I never got a flu shot until it was required by my employer. But especially with this vaccine, it hasn't I mean, it just straight up hasn't had testing. It normally takes, I think it's over ten years to properly uh, safety test a vaccine, and I'm not sure on those on those timelines. But from what I'm remembering, and so really just a lack of testing. It's a brand new brand new vaccine, and also I'm not high risk. I don't fall into a high risk category. So for me, and I have a child that suffered a vaccine injury from a different vaccine, right? So for me, I'm going to outweigh the benefit versus. Risk for me to risk getting COVID, it's which again, like you said, it hasn't been shown to stop the infection, but let's just say it's been shown to stop the infection. It's still a lower risk for me for my own personal decision to get COVID and probably be just fine with it and probably not suffer a severe react or severe symptoms from it. That I have a higher chance coming out better with the infection than choosing to inject myself with something that does have known side effects. We don't know all of them because we haven't tested them, but we do know that we can have these side effects. And it's interesting. I think people keep forgetting.
0: They think they're going to get like one vaccine and be done. Right. Like it already said you're going to be, you know, it's there's a possibility of three to six months of protection. Right. So that means literally every year, if not more than once a year, you'd have to constantly be presenting yourself with a potential for side effects. So it's not like you just have to do it one time and then you're good. And who knows what happens? I mean, to anybody who's studied hyperimmunity, Hyperimmunity immunity is an actual thing where let's say you already had an infection and then you vaccinate yourself for that same thing that you can actually have a hyperimmune immune response where the body attacks itself and can create an autoimmune condition or inflammation in the body that turns into a really awful response. There is such thing as too much. And if you have had the natural infection and you're getting these extra two doses, we don't know what that's going to look like. If you get these doses now and then in six months or eight months, you get one or two again and you keep doing that, we don't know what that's going to look like. So it's just funny that I see a lot of people like assuming this is a one time thing, like they've done it, they're good. Let me share my picture on my social media (laughs) and like I'm done. It's like, this is just the beginning because if you're buying into the fact that you need this to protect yourself, then you're going to need it consistently over and over and over again. Maybe the first five times it's not going to do something to you or you're gonna, not going to have a very serious effect, but who knows if time number six, you will. And if your body is designed to fight these things off, like you said, you're not high risk, why would you put yourself in a position for a guaranteed a guaranteed exposure to side effects when there's not a guaranteed risk of any kind of serious, you know, response to the actual infection. And, and again, year and year and year after year, in addition to whatever their vaccines you might be taking, like there's just no data at all to say that this is going to be safe. And oh, everybody's just talking right now. They're just thinking right now. And this is, they're not zooming out and looking at the big picture because the big picture says it's not over when, this, when you do it this time. It's not anywhere close to over. You're going to consistently have to get it. It's going to keep mutating, you know, just like the flu shot. And we know that the flu shot over time can definitely create problems. So it's like, it's just funny to me that that discussion is not about the long term, not just with side effects, but about whether or not this actually is, you know, has efficacy over the long term and whether or not how long your protection even lasts. Like nobody's even talking about it. It's just, it's unreal to me to think like, yeah, once you're vaccinated, you can go back to society for how long? Because technically, if you just had this in December, your immunity's up already.
1: Right. Well, and to get a vaccine that they're saying we have no idea how long immunity lasts. I mean, why would I get... What I what haven't I mean? gotten COVID since the pandemic started, unless I had some asymptomatic case that I don't know about, right? But I haven't been sick since the pandemic started. So what's the chance I'm going to get it in three months? Maybe, maybe not. And the other thing that I find so funny about this vaccine is there's these, well, not funny in a funny way, but there's these, so many nurses were so sick from it. You know, sick calls into work after getting the vaccine or leaving early because they just got so sick from getting the vaccine. And they just talked, you know, they're saying, well, we know it worked because I it made me so sick. Obviously my body's having a response. And the thing I kind of found funny about that was that I've never heard anybody say that about another vaccine. Nobody's gotten the flu shot and said, oh, good, I know this worked because I got sick, right? They usually feel fine.
0: Well, right. And if your body got that sick having it, it could have also gotten that sick or less having the actual infection, which you wouldn't have needed the vaccine for anyway. Like the whole point of the vaccine is to not get sick. That's the whole point. Right. Absolutely. And then so many of these people are getting reinfected anyway after Right. The breakthrough cases. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the, the very rare, the quote, the quote, rare cases that this happens, but it happens so much that they're talking about it.
1: <laughs> that we're not counting anymore unless they're hospitalized, right? <laughs> I think is what I heard. <laughs> um. So
0: the last two questions I want to ask you that I ask everybody also, because I find this to be sort of interesting, just kind of on a ideological standpoint here. The first one is looking back on the last year and three months, what lessons or realizations or whatever have you had kind of after seeing everything play out the way that it did? Like, how has it changed
1: you? Uh, like, what have you learned? Ooh. So this is kind of more on a, a personal level than in the hospital because I have – I really don't have a lot of control over the hospital. I i can do the best that I can and treat my patients with love and kindness. And that was something I was kind of shocked about too, is how scared these nurses were of the COVID positive patients, Mm. you know? And I really tried to keep my care exactly the same, stay in the room as soon as, as the same amount of time I would with any other patient, do the same amount of education. But what I really learned was how important it is to advocate, how important it is to stand up for what you believe in and advocate for yourself as well as other people I really got involved in a lot of the school rallies and school boards over the forced masks in school for my own kids. And I got involved with a lot of rallies and protests over the mask mandates and just the emergency orders that the governor had put into place. And that was something that I really learned was that I need to be an advocate. I need to be involved. I can't just sit and watch it happen because look at where we've gotten from sitting and watching it happen and just doing, obeying, just obeying anything that's given, no matter how nonsensical it is. Right. So that's what I've really learned is to really stand my ground and advocate.
0: Yeah, I think that's a valuable lesson. And then the last thing I'd ask is to somebody who's still really scared and fearful and either doesn't leave their house, is still wearing their masks, To the person who still is afraid to be part of society, what would you say to them as a medical professional to sort of ease their mind? What would you say?
1: So I think the thing that occasionally gets pushed around, but you don't hear it very often, I think the most important thing is just looking at your health, you know, taking vitamin D supplements and zinc and eating healthy foods, cutting out processed foods, cutting out sugar, exercising, just really taking charge of your health for one And really thinking of your mental health and emotional health, because that is one thing that I've seen, right? Our PEDS units have been pretty empty, but I feel like we have had a lot more um, PEDS or adults. And again, I don't work in those areas just from what I've seen with mental health conditions, right? And suicide attempts and those kinds of things. So I think you have to look at your whole picture of physical health, mental health, emotional health, and sitting in your house scared, too scared to leave, isn't really helping with any of that. And not being exposed to any illness for that long, not being exposed to any viruses, any germs, man, when your immune system hits that first one after being sheltered for so long, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I think your body's going to have a harder time kind of um, standing up to any illness that you get.
0: Yeah, and thank you for saying that part because uh, that's another thing nobody's really talking about is how we're taking ourselves away from exposure that we need. And I remember this uh, said early on with the two doctors from Santa Barbara area, I think they were from, where they were talking about the data that they had from their testing and how we cannot stay away from bacteria and viruses because then that basically sets the stage for the opportunistic infections to come across and really take over the body where in other words, they wouldn't, you know, in other situation they wouldn't have. And now that you're so susceptible to illness that it, like you said, it makes it even harder. So I think that's a, a definitely a medical and scientifically proven concept that everybody has just forgotten But it's a big part of the equation. We can't hide from this stuff forever. We have to be exposed and and, and engage with these milder illnesses to keep the stronger stuff from being able to get us, uh,
1: you know, in a much more severe way. Absolutely. And I would rather my kids get sick a few times a year than not be able to see their teacher's face and have to sit with a mask on all day in school. Oh, I agree. That's more important than my, their mental and emotional health is more important to me than them not getting sick. I ended up having to take my daughter to, which if I knew this was a thing, I would have done it before, but I ended up taking her to get a, I had to switch doctors, but I got a a mask exemption for it because she didn't want to do anything anymore. She didn't want to go to dance. She didn't want to go to after school activities. She didn't want to do anything because she knew she had to wear a mask and that just wasn't good for her mental health. And once she didn't have to wear the mask all day at school anymore, she wanted to do all those activities that she had previously enjoyed doing
0: yeah, I think our children have definitely taken the brunt of all of these, you know, rash decisions that were made. And, and that's something we'll end up seeing on the back end of this over time, for sure. And like you said, including the mental health like you mentioned. but but so many interesting perspectives that you brought to the table, including not just your specialty, but just overall general ideas, which was which was great. And I so appreciate you taking the time to give us, you know, some of your experience and share some of your expertise. I think people will benefit from this knowledge in this series with all the different nurses. I think it's going to be really helpful to uh, an understanding for not just my listeners, but those that they share it with. So I appreciate so much your time and uh, continue advocating and speaking out because I think you're right. I think that is a big part of how we reclaim our freedom through all of this. Absolutely. And everyone listening, thank you again for tuning in. And we'll have additional episodes of this. I'll keep this series going as long as I have interviews to do. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of What They Aren't Telling You. I'll catch you next time.